might be called, in quotes, respectable sins. You know, they're not the dramatic sins that we know we need to give attention to, but the smaller sins. And we're doing, today, we're picking up where we left off last Sunday, which is part two, the sins of the tongue. And last week, we looked at the first part of the outline about how awful it really can be. This week, we're going to look at how awesome it can be. How awesome this thing, this thing that is called a a fire, either set on fire by hell, Gehenna, as it says in James 3, or set on fire by the Holy Spirit, as it says in Acts 2, such that when they spoke, everyone of every language could hear the good news of God. And that is the awesomeness of a tongue on fire, set on fire by the Spirit. Now, here's my question. Particularly if you're um, 10 years old or below, and I'll give 11, 12-year-olds an opportunity to think about this as well. I want you to respond to me to a question. So we'll say if you're 12-year-old down, then you can respond. When we get to heaven, let's say the new heavens and the new earth, which is the final place that we go as Christians, will there be animals there? Yes or no? You thinking about it? Don't worry, we're a small church family, so don't be embarrassed. Okay, all right, here's another hard question. In the new heavens and the new earth, will there be animals there, and will the animals talk? Yes. I, um, I love, one of the books that I recommend for you to have on your family bookshelf is the book Heaven by Randy Alcorn. It's the, the second half. It's a thick book, but it's a, it's a, it's a good read. Um, the, it's worth the price of purchasing this hardback book just for the second half that answers questions like that. And Randy Alcorn believes that not only will there certainly be animals in heaven, he even goes so far as to say maybe your previous pets will actually be in heaven. John Piper has written that he has a a now-deceased dog named Blackie, that he fully expects that when he sees Jesus, the dog is going to run out from behind Jesus and rush up to him as well. Um, interesting. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if my uh, the bird that flew away or the hamster that got eaten by the dog, if it's going to be there or not. But uh, Randy Alcorn puts forward the fact that animals are going to be in heaven. Everything that you see in Eden is going to be restored. The curse is going to be reversed. And that animals in Eden may very well have talked by evidence of one animal, the serpent, the snake, prior to diabolical Satan at work on the serpent, he observed that the serpent was the wisest of all creatures and already was had the, the gift of speech, as it were, bestowed upon him. We know that porpoises seem to communicate uh, with one another. We know that animals do have some form of communication with one another. 
sometimes we have seen where animals are able to, I can tell you, my dog can communicate quite clearly with me when he wants to, when she wants to come in or when she wants to go out or with other things. But animals may very well talk in heaven. What will we talk about in heaven? What will we talk about in the new heaven and the new earth? Will there be one language? Scottish, Welsh, you know. Will it be the King's English? Will it be Hebrew? Which sounds so pretty if you get the enunciations right. What language will they be there? Randy Alcorn writes this. He says, Through understanding other languages, we'll broaden our view of God. In heaven, we may hear people use a certain word from their language to describe one of God's attributes. Now imagine that. In Chinese, you hear someone describing the character of God. And we may suddenly respond, yes, that's it. That's what I was trying to understand, but my language did not go far enough. In heaven... Will Cambodians place their hands together and bow their heads in greeting? Will Kenyans dance to their distinctive drum beats? Will Argentinians love soccer? Will Cubans speak Spanish and Britons speak English and Brazilians speak Portuguese? Why wouldn't they? Perhaps within days or weeks, we'll be able to understand new languages. Maybe throughout the course of a dinner conversation, we'll steadily pick up the language of new friends, creating a bond and our appreciation for them and their culture and our God. What will we talk about? I have come to conclude that we won't talk very long about ourself and our self-interest alone, but our conversation will go about God and how he found us and how he reconciled us to him how he placed his great love and his mercy upon us and how we are now in this new heaven and new earth in his radiant beauty and power and love forever and ever. We'll talk about the object of our heart's affection. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, I mean 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is giving a rationale or he's showing the heart of all of his ministry And it comes to a conclusion in verse 20 when he says in 520, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that's the theme for the awesomeness of the tongue that like the Apostle Paul we find ourselves with a conversation that should be constantly geared toward reconciliation my conversation should be with should be purposeful so that I am being reconciled to you or my conversation is used by God in such a way to reconcile you to God or reconcile me to God And I'll say a bit more about that in just a moment. But we will be, if you're a Christian this morning, and if you're not a Christian this morning, please don't tune out. Um, But if you're a Christian this morning, your tongue 
reflects its master. It's either going to reflect the master of self, me and my interest, or it's going to reflect the master of God my Father. And his interest, and his interest is that all would be reconciled to him. He's a father who wants more children. He is now equipping us, and he gives us the very same task and purpose, and he calls us in verse 20, ambassadors. And I believe that we are to become ambassadors now, speaking of him and for him to reconcile others now and in the new heaven and the new earth. Because that's one of the attributes of an ambassador. If you look at verse 20, there are a couple of attributes of ambassadors. One of them is is that you can't be an ambassador and speak about your own self-interest. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. In other words, God uses our tongue and he uses our conversation and he uses our words as an ambassador, a representative of another country or another kingdom. Come to a people that perhaps are distant or, or foreign or of another language another culture, another way of of thinking. But we're his ambassadors, and so as ambassadors, we don't represent our own self-interest, we represent his interest. I did not read the earlier passages, but if you look at verse 15, it says, And he died for all that those who live, that's the Christian, now alive in God, might no longer live for themselves, but for him. An ambassador lives to represent the king. It's interesting, the Greek for ambassador is presbyter. Presbyter. Where does that come in? Does does that sound familiar? It means elder. It means senator. It means representative. We are a presbyter church. We are an ambassador church such that our officers, our leaders of, of two rivers, are presbyters. They come, we have a session meeting this afternoon, that's where we meet uh, at 2 o'clock, and they don't just come, and you would not have them represent their interest. You would have them represent the people's interest in the meeting, but also represent God's interest to you as members of the congregation. And that's an ambassador. Another characteristic is is that it's not not a a part-time assignment. Notice he says in verse 20, that we are ambassadors for Christ, except for summer, or except when somebody is, they have pushed, they have pushed and pushed and pushed my buttons, and now I'm not an ambassador anymore. You know, I'm not going to implore anybody to be reconciled with me or with God. I'm going to explode. And no, we're always an ambassador. Um, Walter Cronkite had a sailboat. And the sailboat's name was Assignment. Assignment. And the reason he did that was that when people would clamor after uh, Walter Cronkite to come over here to do this uh, news journalism event or over here to do this reporting or something, that on his vacation he could always uh, have somebody on staff say, well, Walter's not here right now. He's on Assignment. Well, you are always on assignment. 
You're always assigned, if you're a Christian today, to be an ambassador for Christ. Now, I'm going to give you another characteristic, but before I leave that, did anybody here, did your heart just flutter a little bit? Flutter a little bit about the terrifying consequences, the terrifying assignment and responsibility it is to be an ambassador for Christ? Think about, I gave you the tongue test last week, but just one day. Let's just do yesterday. I won't touch today, but just yesterday. Think about every conversation you had. Think about every time that tongue went to work. Now, it was that tongue, if I were to review that occasion, what I'd say on every instance, it was like an ambassador representing a king. It was like an ambassador who, who represented God. It was, it, was a, it was a Christian tongue. It was civil, it was kind, it was forgiving, it was patient. Or was it really not? That's the tension that we have. We can't do it on our own. It must be a tongue that is set on fire by the Holy Spirit. Um, but we are called to be ambassadors, as it were, in a foreign land, because First Peter tells us that we're like, we're God's royal household. We're his priesthood. But he's left us here until the new heavens and the new earth here for a job to do. And that job is to represent him. And that job is to implore others on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And it, this is not just talking about evangelism. It certainly includes our witness and our sharing our faith and how others can come to know freedom and forgiveness in Christ Jesus. It certainly includes that. But it's a husband and a wife. It's a child and a parent. It's a neighbor to a neighbor. It's a workmate to a workmate. Conversations that God may not even be spoken of, but he's represented. Represented in um, two ways. First of all, the king's mission. And second of all, the king's method. Now, if you look on your outline... I say that ambassador has a, a job, and here's his assignment, as it were. He's on a mission from the king, and he's got to represent that mission in his or her conversations and with their tongue. Secondly, he's got to do it the king's way as if he were there, the king's method. Because as an ambassador, he's representing the king's character. To have heard from him was to hear from the king and to represent him because he's not representing his own interest but he's representing the mission and he's doing it in the king's way to represent the king's character. Now, the king's mission is reconciliation. Again, verse 20. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Every conversation that you get in is a conversation with another sinner. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. And in that conversation, I know that there is, there's need for encouragement for you to be constantly, constantly reconciled in your relationship with God. And there's also a need that I have to be reconciled to God. But the thing that will creep into my conversation because it is resident in my heart is self. 
capital S, capital E, capital L, capital F. The Bible actually goes so far, and I can't elaborate, but it calls self and its desires and its pleasures and its design to be pleased or the, the things that it wants to hang on to, it calls that an idol. In Ezekiel chapter 14, chapter 14 in Ezekiel, beginning with verse 4, God declares to the priests, to the pastors as it were, to the elders, to his ambassadors, his desire to be reconciled to the church, to during that day, Christians. Thus says the Lord God, any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and he sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I the Lord will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of the hearts of Israel who are all estranged from me through their idols. Let me give you an example for a takeaway for that verse. You go, now, this, is, this, this has nothing to do with, with my home life, okay? So, so don't think this is just purely coincidental. Um, if it bears resemblance to anybody that lives in my home. But let's say you as a parent have a teenage child or young adult child that lives at home. And their room is not to your standard of cleanliness, okay? Now, it's not so bad that they would uh, do a reality series uh, segment on hoarding, but it's close. Um, and it makes perfect sense for the occupant of that room that it's their domain, it makes perfect sense that it, to them where everything is. But if you go in there, you have to go through all of the piles of the clothes and the mess and everything, and to step into the room may even cause one family member to say, I'm never even going to talk to the person because I can't even go in that room anymore. So, one person goes, one parent goes into that room, moi, to have a perfectly reasonable conversation about reconciliation, actually apologizing where I was wrong earlier. And two sentences into it, because I'm in that room and my eyes can't help but drift to all the the clutter that's not to my standard, then the conversation goes from being reconciled one center to another center. It goes from, from being an ambassador and saying, we need to make peace with one another. God loves his children to be at peace. I don't want us to be unreconciled in this relationship. Two sentences into it, and why is this room such a wreck? Is it so hard to da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da? My buttons, all the, 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 the whistles are going off. Smoke is coming out my ear. And I leave, and do you think I'm reconciled with that person? No. Ezekiel 14, verse 5, basically says that God will use the idols in my heart. The idol in my heart, I want clean my standard. That's my idol. I'm happy if I get it, and I'm mad if I don't. And I want my way. Okay? That's an idol. Cleanliness can become an idol, and it had for me. So God, when I walked away from that conversation, God 
exposed not that person's sin, but he used my idol to expose my sin and how I was estranged from him. Does that make sense? So do you see how God can take a conversation and a conversation that maybe sets off your hot buttons or a conversation where you find your your tongue protecting something that you want or trying to achieve something or get something that you want, that God will expose that to show you the need to be reconciled to him. That's his mission. It's his mission with us And then, once reconciled, he'll put us and use us on his mission. But not until then. As long as you harbor idols of the heart that enter into your conversations, then you will never be able to persuade other people to be reconciled with God. For you see, you're trying to persuade them with your method, as it were, and not his method. And it must be done his way. The yearling... The Yearling uh, uh, story about, you know, it's kind of set in the country, and, and it's, a, it's a great story, but there's a, there's a gentleman in there, in there named, by the name of Penn who has a bear dog that is worthless. And in that part of the country, if you wanted to sell or trade your bear dog, you talked about how worthless it was. You kind of went to the opposite. And um, so he went to the general store and Lynn was there, and he didn't have a bear dog, and he had been in the market for a bear dog, and he said, Pen, what about that bear dog that you've got? <laughs> he said, that bear dog is so worthless, you, I couldn't trade it for a, for a bit of tobacco. And he said, really? And he said, yeah, he said, that thing, he says, it won't hunt, it runs off, it's just the, it's the darndest critter I've ever had. And Lynn said, well, you know, I may, I'd like to come by this afternoon and, uh, and maybe, ah, you don't want to look at that dog. Well, Lynn comes by later on with a, with a new shotgun, and he gives it to Penn for the dog. Now, Penn's son has heard all of this conversation, and Penn is now a little disturbed, and he, he told his son, he said, that wasn't right. And he said, but Pa, he said, your words were straight. Your words were true. That dog is worthless. He says, yes, son, my words were straight, but my heart was crookeder than the river Ogallala. And that's where sometimes we need to recognize, let our conversations, let those conversations we find that we're raging a lot more, exploding a lot more, gritting our teeth, maybe swearing, maybe uh, any sin of the tongue, when we find that Use that as if it's an electric cord and trace it back to its power source, which will be your heart. Let that conversation trace, trace its way back to see how God wants to use it to be recon- reconcile you to himself, and then he'll use you as if you were, because you are, his man or woman or young person on the spot doing it his way with his words, even as you're reconciled. It won't work any other way. I promise you, it won't work. I, uh, I've got my favorite illustration of the impact of redeeming words and doing it God's way comes from uh, Jean Valjean in Les Miserables. And 
I want to give it to you now. If you only read, this, Les Miserables is one of the, it's a big book, but it's one of my top ten books. I try to read it at least once a year. Jean Valjean is a criminal who has spent, because he stole bread, he has spent years upon years having his back almost literally broken in the galleys, the boats. And in the dark and in the gloom, he finally comes to be released, but he finds that people are avoiding him and shunning him, and he's very, very hungry. But a bishop takes him in without knowing what his history is, knowing that he is a released convict, but not knowing if he's a murderer or if he's a thief. And this surprises Jean Valjean. But in the night, after being fed at this man's table, he noticed some silver candlesticks. And so after being fed at the bishop's table and then put to bed, he gets up at 2 in the morning, steals the candlesticks, and runs away. He's caught, and the gendarmes bring him back before the bishop, thinking he's going to go back for life this time with this occurrence of theft. And the bishop says this, My friend, you went in such haste that I did not give you the rest of the silver. Now, here, take this. Jean Valdon, Jean is starstruck and does not move. No, here, take this and go in peace. And by the way, my friend, when you come again, you need not come through the garden. You can always come in and go out of the front door. Messieurs, he turns to the gendarmes, you can retire. Jean Valjean felt like a man who is just about to faint. The bishop approached him and said in a low voice, Now forget not, never forget, that you've promised me to use this silver to become an honest man. Now Jean Valjean could not remember any such promise, but he stood there confounded. The bishop had laid much stress upon these words as he uttered them, and now he continued solemnly. Jean Valjean, my brother, you belong no longer to evil, but to good. It is your soul that I am buying for you. I withdraw it from dark thoughts and from the spirit of perdition, and I give it to God. He goes, and over the period of the next day, he finds himself trying to understand what has just occurred. Like an owl who should see the sun suddenly rise, the convict in him had been dazzled and blinded by virtue of a conversation. One thing was certain, nor did he himself doubt it, that he was no longer the same man, that all was changed in him, and it was no longer in his power to prevent the bishop from having talked to him and having touched him. Would that all of our conversations have the power to move others to be reconciled to God. And that all of our conversations would be in process by the Holy Spirit, moving us and reconciling us to God. So that in the negative, we see our need to once again to relinquish and repent of idols and in the positive see how we can free others simply by this tongue now set on fire by the Spirit 
and represent our king as his ambassadors such that they would experience reconciliation even as we do. This morning, we need strength for this because we can't do it in our own strength. And the strength comes in verse 21. All that Paul speaks of, he calls the gospel. And it's good news. And the good news simply is this, that there was one, Christ Jesus, who became sin. He took the sinner's place that we might be granted his place, which is righteousness. That it's the great substitution that by the breaking of his body in our place and the shedding of his blood, then God and man are now reconciled and we are transformed. We are changed to be the children that he made us and desires us to be. For you see, on the night that Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this bread represents my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance. Remember my love. Remember my substitutionary love, my putting myself in your place and not doing it because I had to, but I was constrained, I was compelled to out of my love for you. On the same manner after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my shed blood. It represents the new covenant promise, the remission or the washing away of all sin. Drink this in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this cup and eat this bread, you celebrate my death until I return. I want to invite our men to come forward now as they prepare to serve us. This table is not a table for the perfect. It's a table for the hungry. It's a table for those that say, I want you to speak again, God, to me through this bread, a little bit of bread, a little bit of wine, but speak to my heart and tell me that I am yours and you are mine forever. And now may I speak from that good news to others. This table is for Christians. If you're not a believer today, we encourage you to take time and reflect on the things that you've heard. Things such as God's longing after you. His great desire is not to punish you or to be distant from you, but to be reconciled with you. And the offer is there to receive him. Simply give him your heart's idols those things that you've been clinging to for significance or security, and take him instead with the forgiveness of sins. And then speak to someone after that. Speak to an ambassador. Speak to somebody that you know to be a Christian about the next steps in preparation to come to this table. Kenny is going to have bread and a chalice of wine for intention to take the bread and to dip into the wine. Shane is going to have bread and grape juice as an alternative to the wine that's in the chalices. And then I'm going to have wine and a chalice for a common cup that you may drink from. You'll find the liturgy in your program this morning. Let us now proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. These indeed are the gifts of God for the people of the God.
So the people of God are encouraged to come and receive his gifts for a fresh strengthening of our faith that we might live for him. Please come forward to receive them.